When you hear the phrase, soft as steel, what do you think of? While the word steel might conjure up images such as massive high-rise buildings, where does the soft part come in? And what exactly does this mean in our work and in our lives? Welcome to the Soft as Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran, featuring engaging conversations with a wide range of industry leaders around soft skills, how we practice love, inclusion, social justice, and compassionate leadership that's everlasting in the workplace. And now, here's Dennis Duran. At a glance, you might be thinking that the Softest Steel podcast is not a technology conversation place. So my guest today is on the surface, may seem like a different type of guest. And in the most direct way, you might be right. Bruce Orr is the founder and chief data scientist of ProNovos Construction Analytics. He founded his firm in 2012 after a 20-year career in data analytics. Bruce is on a mission to bring transformative approaches to construction analytics, project management, and financial workflows to construction contractors across the United States. He does so with the multidisciplinary support of diverse colleagues and internal team members. The list includes veteran construction executives and project managers leading construction management academicians. Bruce is deeply involved in the construction industry. He belongs to the Data Warehouse Institute, the Associated Builders and Contracts, the Construction Industry CPAs and Consultants Association, and the Associated General Contractors of America. And lastly, he is a member of CFMA's Georgia chapter for the past seven years. Bruce serves on CFMA's DEI Plus Committee, which he chaired from April 2021 until joining CFMA's National Executive Committee in April 2023. And there's the connection, DEI. And I should add that I was urged to invite Bruce to the Softest Deal podcast by one of the construction industry's most important thought leaders, Cal Byer. Cal urged me to reach out to have Bruce join me for a conversation. So I'm so pleased and delighted to welcome Bruce Orr to the Softest Steel podcast. Bruce, welcome. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You're in a very important part of our industry something that 10, 20, and 30 years ago did not exist in our industry, did not bring the kinds of technology, technical expertise, systems and processes to help contractors and owners build successful projects. They did it by the seat of their pants. I certainly did it that way when I first came into the industry over 40 years ago. So what you do is vitally important in the industry, and you're recognized for your thought leadership. You're recognized for many contributions you've made to the industry along the lines of analytics, dealing both with managing projects as well as understanding the financial performance of projects and being able to look at project by project, make comparisons, do so many things that I know relatively little about, although I must mention that my education is in accounting. And uh, I was first a CPA, but then I left that behind. And now for the last, well, 40 years or more, I've been a recovering CPA of sorts. <laughs> uh, so, but I think the reason I called out the Georgia chapter of CFMA and your leadership on the DEI committee uh, is because, as you probably know from reading whatever you've had a chance to look at or maybe listening to episode zero of my podcast series, this is not a podcast about technology, about analytics, uh, about equipment, about uh, strategy business planning or any of those kinds of things. This, in a very direct and pure sense, is a podcast and a conversation about people. And so just nominally, the fact that you are in a leadership position dealing with issues associated with diversity, equity, and inclusion makes you someone that's important to bring into this conversation. 
And so it's really around that that I want to have a chance to visit with you over the next 30 minutes. I'll also say the way even as much as I stumbled over the word multidisciplinary, when you see words like diverse colleagues, team members, those are all kind of what I call subtle hints that even though you're talking about a very technical discipline, a very deep discipline from an academic standpoint and educational standpoint, you talk about it because you also have a great interest in the people that do those things, that interact with the contractors, with the owners, et cetera, build relationships, and do all the things that I know are important to the future of the industry. And one of the most important things really is on the front of dealing with the challenges associated with diversity, equity, and inclusion. I talk about love, inclusion, and social justice on my podcast series and uh, a lot of my writing, because I think it's so vitally important that we be talking about those things, because we have a long way to go. I had a great conversation with uh, another thought leader in the industry by the name of Teresa Magnus. In fact, Teresa's episode will drop uh, tomorrow. Uh, and she takes, she has a, a fairly uh, harsh view of where we are as an industry as it relates to people. Uh, and, and, and perhaps most focus on, on women uh, and people in, in underserved communities. Uh, so again, all within the, under the umbrella of dealing with the people part of business. So my first question for you is, just in a general sense, um, when I talk about love and I talk about inclusion and social justice and how it all relates to leadership, um, how do you speak about it? How, how, how does, what does it mean to you? You know, I... Um... I think about it in terms of, of caring for one another. Um, I, when I first wrote an article um, a while back for CFMA's Building Profits, it was about my experience as um, a, young, a young black man in the construction industry. And what drove me to write that was the, um, the situations that we were experiencing back in, I think it was summer of 2020, um, you know, all the unrest that was happening and, and, uh, and something set with my soul that uh, I just made me, made me want to um, tell a little bit about my story. Uh, I don't tend to speak up about my personal life, but I felt compelled to. And, um, and so, you know, after doing that, some time passed between the summer of 2020 and it was probably about the middle of last year. And I began to recognize that um, that those that were a bit more compassionate um, was less so. And it seems like whenever you speak about diversity, equity, and inclusion. I love social justice. I absolutely love that because we have a big issue with that here in the United States. Um, it, I, I started to recognize just that term alone would set some people off. And I wanted to have the ear of anyone that would listen to what I had to say, because I feel strongly that it is important. So um, I took a play from the playbook of AGC. They focused on a culture of caring. And I thought about that. And I thought about who can argue with caring for another human being, right? And, you know, and I, I think that, um, that when you are focused on the well-being of your brother or your sister, no matter the color of their skin, that's something that no one 
no one can argue with you about. And, and, and that's, that's kind of how I talk about it in terms of just caring for one another. Now, granted, some of us need uh, a little more uh, caring than others. And, and, and as you put it, um, those in underserved areas um, are probably the ones that, that need that the most. Yeah. Our, our good mutual friend, Cal Byer, obviously, is, uh, you know, he, he speaks with, uh, with great passion and uh, commitment about uh, the, the crisis that we continue to face in the industry around and the issues of mental health, addiction, suicide, uh, opioids, uh, et cetera. Um, and so, you know, as, as, a, as a leading uh, expert in data analytics, uh, how, how, how does that, that, uh, that function, how does that role uh, provide you the opportunity to, uh, uh, to demonstrate uh, what you think is important in, in terms of how people relate to one another as people? You know, it's interesting. So when you factor in the numbers, when you start looking at data, sometimes the story gets lost. There's a story behind every data point. While I try to connect the dots to tell the story, I don't know the context of every story. Um, and, and so I think that as a leader uh, in the industry, I feel like it's important to bring the voices of those behind the data uh, to light, like what you're doing now. Um, you know, I remember running some analytics. We did something in our, um, our we, we have a, a monthly news um, letter that goes out and we ran some numbers about um, opioid addiction and who it is affecting and uh, what communities. And, you know, and, and obviously I think a lot of us know that it is affecting um, uh, lower income white people. And, you know, and when, when I saw the, the numbers around deaths, the numbers around overdoses, I, 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 my heart went out to, to, to these people. Again, th these, these are my brothers, my sisters. It doesn't matter the color of your skin, their families, their children, like everyone is affected when someone else dies. And, and, uh, and, and I just, I had to take a moment to sit down and, and, and just, if you mm -hmm. don't mind me saying, thank God that I am, um, um, you know, not struggling with that because I can't imagine what people are going through. Um, so, you know, I, I, I love to use data to help build business cases to help drive an agenda of something that's real important that can tell the story of someone that might have died from suicide, overdose. They can't be here to tell that story. So I hope that I can use whatever platform I have to visualize how it's impacting that individual and everyone else that, um, that that individual connected. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I, when I think about, again, over the, over the course of my career, um, uh, think about the notion of, uh, of numbers and data. Um, I, I start to yawn. Um, no, just kidding. No, it's just that, uh, that was, that was, an, that was a cheap shot. I, I apologize. No, but, uh, what I, what I do, what I do often say, uh, is that, uh, uh, particular individuals who have responsibility for others, 
uh, in a managerial roles. Uh, and therefore, since they have other responsibility for others, uh, I will often, and as I did this past Friday, when I had a room full of superintendents, general superintendents, and foremen, project managers, those categories of folks on a huge, the huge construction project that I visited, um, I will say to them that uh, uh, the data or facts are very, very important. Uh, but uh, just it's important to keep in mind uh, that that uh, uh, that how those facts are facts are used uh, has an impact on at least two parties: uh, the person that the, that the facts speak to, and the person who is speaking about the facts. Uh, and uh, uh, or said another way, uh, decision making, particularly in a leadership role, uh, is not simply about the facts. Because uh, those facts are, are useful, uh, but it doesn't. I think you kind of said this a couple minutes ago. Uh, it doesn't always. It doesn't uh, by itself tell the, tell a story or the story. Um, it is useful, uh, and when I talk about facts, I'm talking about them uh, in a in a different context slightly, and that is uh, facts that describe using words uh, and and some numbers describe an individual's behavioral style or personalities. Uh, their communication style, uh, their level of emotional intelligence. Uh, and these are all things that can be boiled down to being displayed as a set of facts to be used to help individuals make decisions throughout their daily lives. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Facts to help individuals uh, make decisions. I, you know, I live and breathe this and... <laughs> It brings me back to one of my first uh, data science classes uh, uh, years, like decades ago, and and this was before people knew about data science. And, and I, I remember uh, learning about the context around data. And they gave this example. They said, "Imagine going to a grocery store and purchasing a banana." And and, and so that alone has so much data. So now you start thinking about, okay, what day did you go to the grocery store? Uh, what type of banana did you purchase? Um, um, you know, uh, what was the weather like? So I started learning about, um, about the facts related to data and everything else that it encompasses. I think most, most often we are in a society that is bombarded with fragments of information. And we never are able to see the complete picture of um, the decisions that we're making based on the fragmented pieces of information. Um, now, what I like to do, and if I can give you my definition of intelligence, it is when able, when, whenever you're able to um, connect most things and see and understand the bigger picture, you know? And I think, again, when you're making um, uh, decisions based on fragmented pieces of information, it may not yield you the results that you're anticipating. So therefore, I think it is upon us to try and understand uh, all of the influences that we need to consider when making a decision. And we often do this within, I mean, this, this is why ProNovos exists. We, we, we do this by bringing all the data together and trying to present it to the decision makers. 
I, I do it in my personal life as well. I have a 17 year old. She'll be a senior next year. And, and so she is, you know, just again, just like she's bombarded with information about what school to go to and the level of uh, stress that she's placing on herself, trying to make the right decision. And honestly, Dennis, you probably know this in the grand scheme of things, unless you're going into like politics and, you know, you're, you're trying to do something um, that requires an Ivy League education, in the grand scheme of things, you're going to be okay no matter what school you go to. Mm-hmm. Hell, if she decides not to go to school at all and get her and, and, and go to a trade, I'll be nonetheless extremely proud of this little girl. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, Anyway, I, I could go on and on talking about data, so I, I don't want to take too much too much time on that subject. Well, it's, it's okay. I mean, you know, you know a lot about that subject. You probably could take too much time talking about it. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I, I reconnected a bit to to the uh, to the accounting and CPA world a number of years ago, and uh, I was I was asked for a few months uh, to teach uh, teach a class to young auditors. Uh, and one of the one of the uh, modules in the training was uh, was the use of analytics in uh, in analyzing financial statements. Um, you know, so and 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 again, my understanding is the analytics c- connects two pieces of data. Uh, you know, that may seem like they're entirely independent and separate from each other, but then relates them to each other uh, so that you can see how how one behaves uh, with changes uh, in in an, in another piece of information. Is that is that kind of a crude way of describing some aspect of analytics? Yeah, I, I think I think you're you're spot on with that uh, for sure. Yeah, um, you know there are so many variations of analytics, and I think that you can make it into whatever you want. We have descriptive, predictive. There are so many ways that you can go about it. In my opinion, when you are of the mindset that you're that that you're you have a solid foundation about the subject that you uh, want to tease information out of. Um, it's not necessarily about the type of analytics as 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 much as it is um, in terms of like descriptive and pre- predictive and all that. It's more around the discipline related to the skills used around critical thinking, like for instance, mm-hmm. um, like bias confirmation, you know, that's a type of, uh, analytics. That's not, it's less about the technology, but it's more about the methodology. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I think that bias confirmation comes in a lot when you consider, uh, the data at hand and you are looking to hire someone. So mm-hmm. sorry to bring it back to the E and I, but for instance, if you're using, you know, if you if you have using AI and you're and you and you're basically um, uh, inundated with thousands of resumes, um, uh, there there are some AI engines that will be biased around names and and so and schools and so it's it's only because the developers that have uh, developed the technology is looking at history, rightfully so, we should look at history to determine who, what the chances are to select the best candidate. But we all know history in the United States 
isn't fair for it hasn't been fair for everyone. Mm -hmm. So we need to understand what biased analytics can do for us in that case. So are, are you seeing them uh, seeing the biased analytics being used more in a positive way to try to eliminate unconscious bias or or, or the kind of bias that uh, that we think about uh, and and then the rejoinder is this is why uh, this segment of the population is not uh, properly served this is why uh, you don't see more people like this in positions of that you know all those kinds of is 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 this is this tackling that problem no, no, it's not. <laughs> it's it, it's not. I think we're um, we're so infatuated with um, with with this type of with data nowadays. Um, since GPT has been um, on probably in every conversation over the past few months, um, you know, I, I think that there are decisions that are being made by utilizing GPT programs and. Um, and, and not understanding the context in which the information is being displayed back at you. I do know, however, that some developers are utilizing GPT um, and, and invoking some biased algorithms or anti-biased algorithms to uh, help sort of break up that historical um, trending that we have typically seen as it relates to uh, race, ethnic, ethnicity, and and uh, even gender. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's it, it's a lot that happens under the scenes. But as an end user, we kind of take things at face value and hope that we can run with it because we're so busy making decisions every day that sometimes we don't have the time to stop and think about what this technology is telling us. Yeah. You know, again, I, I mentioned Teresa Magnus. I also had a conversation with uh, an international uh, uh, iron workers organizer, a woman uh, who's been recognized by ENR as a newsmaker, um, talks, it talks in a, in a very direct format uh, uh, around the issues associated with uh, the, the, the lack, of, lack of diversity that continues to, to be a problem for our industry. Uh, as you, I'm sure as you well know, uh, the number of women participants in the industry is a low single digits number. Uh, whereas the population uh, is uh, is balanced in favor of women, um, and so there, there's just there, there's so much going on. When in your participation in the in the Georgia uh, DEI committee, uh, what, what were some of the things that you all tackled and felt like you were making, if you if you felt that way, that you were making progress around diversity, equity, and inclusion within uh, within the scope of your of your Georgia chapter? Well. Um... If you allow me, I'll I'll, um, I'll say it was at the national level. Mm -hmm. okay. So I think there are like 99 chapters that CFMA has. Um, and while I live in Georgia and I directly try to contribute my um, my my learnings from the national chapter, a lot of the experience has been um, at the national level. Uh, so. As we began to work on this committee, and by the way, it started off as a task force, and it was such a um, it was such a taxing experience. Um, I think there were many individuals that joined because um, their heart um, compelled them to, mm -hmm. and we had to um, sift through our emotions. And we had we had to consider um, 
the goal and how we can best reach the leaders in the industry that are positioned to make a change. And we had to, we had to build a compelling case study. And sometimes the case study could feel uh, very cold, you know, uh, versus stories. So we put this beautiful case study together. And I was shocked at the numbers. <laughs> Going back to who I am as a data person, we did not want to influence the outcome of this case study at all. We said, let's just look at the data. There were no leading questions. It was just the data. And everywhere we, we went, wh wherever we got the data from, and there were probably hundreds of sources for us to cross-reference and see if they're saying the same thing, how far is this off, if it is off, and can we find a more, um, uh, 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 I don't know, um, uh, reputable uh, source. And, and it, was, it was a lot of time spent. And again, we built this compelling case study. However, it was just numbers. You know, we're, we're, we're telling the CEO of large construction firms, hey, you're going to do better by X if you were to um, hire more diverse people. And while we needed that case study, it wasn't until we began to talk to those that were uh, affected by uh, discrimination. And I'm not talking about just uh, women or black and brown people. Mm -hmm. We spoke with uh, white people as well. We spoke with older individuals. We, we spoke with younger individuals and we were just ready to listen to whatever they wanted to tell us related to their vision of what was going on. Mm -hmm. I would say that I, I would be lying to you, Dennis, if I told you that, um, everyone said it was a problem. There were quite a few that said, we're good, there's no problem, and, and, and there's no need to make change. Um, however, for those that told their stories, those stories that were told um, made people stop and listen as opposed to the numbers. So again, going back to the facts, typically the facts drive us, but when we know how it impacts a person's family, the children, it, it, it's, it's, it's the compassionate side of us as a human being that drives us to want to change, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. From where I sit, uh, the, the industry has a long way to go. Um, there's, there's been a, a, lot, a lot more activity uh, in the last, I would say, two to four years um, than before. Uh, but I think uh, one comment among many that you've made, which have all been really, really powerful and helpful, the idea that you know, sometimes you, you can you can look you can look at the facts, and it just doesn't square with what your experience is, what your specific individual experience is, uh, what and, and as we know that that, that people's uh, who people are, uh, and I talk about this fairly often, who people are today. Uh, so you today, Bruce, are the are the result, uh, the product uh, of all of your experiences, everything you've learned, everything you've seen, everything you've heard from the moment you left your mother's womb until the moment you stepped and sat down at your desk today. That's who you are. Uh, and if the preponderance of your experiences, in particular, what your what you saw your parents doing, or your aunt and uncle, uh, or the, the the community you lived in, 
Yet the preponderance of all those experiences leaves you with a certain view of what your reality is today. That is your reality. Uh, and so you may not, not be wired through the accumulation of your experiences to be able to, to look at, at, at a story or look at a set of facts and say, I can relate to those. I can relate to those. You may look at it and say, well, that's just not, I don't, I don't agree, or I, that's not my experience. And, and this kind of a, of a back and forth, up and down kind of, of a mentality is what keeps us in some regards standing still when it's you know, obvious in mid-2020 uh, that there's a problem in social justice in our country. It's obvious. Uh, and it should be, you would think it'd be obvious to everyone. But as you said so poignantly, uh, some people just don't see it. Um, I, you know, again, I'm, I'm not discouraged uh, although again, you know, Teresa Magda, she had a, she had a uh, just a, a pretty close to being a pessimistic outlook, and she is a very well informed industry leader um, who's done a lot of interesting things. She doesn't just doesn't just kind of shoot from the hip, um, and uh, she even had a, has a parallel interest and in activity in dealing with mental wellness in our industry. You know, so that and again, that's a, that's a kind of an amalgamation of things that relate to diversity, inclusion, social justice, and you throw in mental well, you know, mental wellness, and now you're 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 start, you're making a salad there that could either be a very good salad or could somebody could choke on it. Yeah, and, that's uh, right. Yeah. Um, some please, what are you thinking? No, no, I I, I I absolutely love what you just said. Um, it, you know. Um, I used to oscillate between being optimistic and or pessimistic about the future and our industry. Uh, again, I think that relating back to um, the comment that I made about us taking everything, um, you know, in the proper context is 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 even true for myself. Um, so let me tell you why I love the construction industry. Um, and and it, it it gives me chills when I think about it. But every culture, every society is a reflection of what has been built in that community, right? Um, no matter what was going on in history, um, economics, like everything is a reflection of what was going on in that culture, government, like everything. And and as a citizen. Um, we, we live obviously in a community. We, we look at the structures, we use the roads, we, uh, it's, it's, it's everywhere. And so by and large, um, I think that a lot of the architects, uh, a lot of large, uh, GC firms and, and subcontractors have been run by folks that, um, built things based on, I, I choose to believe that they were built based upon what was needed at the time. Um, most of the time, women and brown and black people were consumers of that product. Now, I think what's great is the industry is recognizing an issue with um, where do we go from here? How do we sustain this magnificent uh, work that has that was around before, like NBC? How, how do we continue building? And 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 uh, you know, I'll just speak about the United States. We want to continue to be competitive, and and we want to enjoy um, um, 
you know, the, the, the fruit that we have continued to enjoy for a long time, I, I would say that we probably need to, uh, uh, cut back a, a little bit when you look at our, you know, our debt ceiling and, you know, we need to figure something out. But um, I believe that the industry, and we all know this is a labor problem. So we have to continue to look at uh, things that we haven't done historically. And I think that we need to have, you know, more women, uh, black and brown architects. We just need more people, you know, and, and, and I, I think that, you know, this, um, and to, to, to some, it, it might give them, um, it might make them a bit nervous, but you know, we know when you look at the population, um, what is mostly in decline uh, in the United States uh, is, is uh, the population of white people. We have more Hispanics that are coming into the industry, but this is still the United States, right? This is like, this is our home. What, what, whatever the people are, whatever they look like, we need the best talent in this industry so that we can have tomorrow reflect how we how we live our lives. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's just a really interesting industry. I love architecture. I love I love construction. I love the data. You know, so. Um, well, I hope you do. You know, <laughs> you know, you built a business around it. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. No. Well said. I you know I think uh, and unfortunately we're we're at the end of our time together. Um, I think that uh, I, I know now after having this chance to to uh, meet you in this in this format and, and visit with you, uh, you know why Cal thinks so highly of you, uh, and I and I and I have a tremendous amount of respect from him and what he's done from the, from the perch of his platform with an insurance agency of all things, but he's he's gone well beyond that, um, and uh, and I think that you know what what I hear is a is a leader. Uh, who has uh, a, a, a solid uh, understanding of an industry uh, that you serve uh, and that you, I'm sure you serve it uh, uh, with, with probably with the prescription that I use from a motto of, one, of my mentor, a guy named Steve Farber, uh, who says that you should do what you love in the service of people who love what you do. Uh, and uh, and just a, cu a couple of hints in the in the introduction, a number of the things that you said to me uh, suggest to me that you subscribe to that idea uh, wholeheartedly. Um, That's right. And uh, but more than that, from the highly technical, critical discipline that you operate within our industry, you come across, which I think is important and valuable, is a person who is a person who understands that we are not just a construction industry. I always say to whatever room I'm in, when I'm leading a workshop or delivering a speech, as I'll be doing Friday when I'm speaking to a small group here in Savannah, that we're not really in the construction business or the architecture or engineering or data analytics. We're in the people business. What we do, whether it's a product that we deliver and drop at a dock, whether it's a process that we conduct, a personal service that we provide, they're all people businesses. We serve people. So we must strive to better understand ourselves and better understand the people that we serve so that we'll have the opportunity to do things that will be beneficial for them, good for us, and in the end, a good society. That's kind of my view. Your thoughts. Too. I love it. And Cal is a great man. I, he, oh gosh, he warms my heart just by thinking about him. Mm -hmm. I agree about the people business. There are just two things I, I like to say uh, related back to, you know, women in construction. I'm so proud to be able to extend opportunities to folks that may not have opportunities. And just recently I hired 
our first ever chief operating officer. Her name's Samantha Lake. She spent many years at CFMA's, mm -hmm. which is Construction Financial Management Association. She was their VP of marketing. And, and so uh, her joining the team, and she also served on the DEI committee, but she brings this passion around people to this organization, Pronovos, that is, it was meant to happen. Mm -hmm. And so I agree wholeheartedly that this is, it is about people and I get the softest steel. I thought about that. I was like, what? So I get that. I, I get the work that Cal is doing and we have to, in my opinion, do everything we can to support the people to ensure that from an emotional and mental health perspective, we can help our fellow brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. Someone once said that I'm no psychologist, but it made sense to me. Someone once said that if we take care of the emotional aspect of who we are, mm -hmm. more than likely we want to take care of the mental aspect. And I think that a lot of times we neglect the emotional mm -hmm. need that we have to take care of ourselves. And it's not until something really happens that we can't handle mm -hmm. that it becomes a mental issue. Now, I do know there are people that they're biologically predisposed to certain things, but you know, the importance of taking time, sitting quietly, exercising, you know, it's, it's those little things in life that it helps me sort of fill my account. So when I need to withdraw, when I have to work late hours, or if I'm dealing with the uncomfortable conversation, I can draw from that and I can align myself with equanimity so that I am not sort of going off the rails in that conversation. And I think a lot of leaders that serve should also be doing that yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, I'll punctuate that by saying that some of the research I've seen when it talks about people who are the smartest people from an intelligence standpoint, comparing those who are the smartest emotionally, referring to emotional intelligence, that only 20% of those leaders that are the smartest in the room turn out to be the most successful. You got to choose between someone who's smart intelligence-wise as a leader versus someone who's smart emotionally as a leader. Take the emotional leader. Because 70% of the cases, that's the person that's going to have the greatest effect and be the most successful in their role. I love it. So I appreciate your time. I look forward to the opportunity to meet you without the use of a screen. I'm sure we'll find it as we both move around the industry. Thanks for being my guest on the Softest Deal podcast, Bruce. Thank you, Dennis. I appreciate it very much. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of the Softest Deal podcast with your host, Dennis Duran. Dennis is the author of Softest Steel and a leading speaker and trainer for organizations across many industries and verticals. To learn more about the work Dennis is doing to activate soft skills in the workplace, contact him at DennisDuranSpeaking.com. Be sure to check out his book, Softest Steel, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you'd like to get your podcasts. And please remember to share this episode with your friends, colleagues, and anyone you feel would benefit from the conversation. We'll see you next time on the Softest Steel Podcast with Dennis Duran. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.